Welcome to the Be Consumed podcast with Pastor West Church, where we encourage you to be consumed by the truth of God's Word. Join us in chronologically reading through the Bible this year by visiting consumed.life. If you're tracking with us in our consumed reading plan, then uh, you should have successfully made it through the book of Exodus, and we're moving on to Leviticus. And I would say that the exciting chapters of Exodus really did fly by. (laughs) I mean, the birth of Moses, the burning bush, the plagues, dramatic splitting of the Red Sea, I mean, all very exciting stuff. Um, But it didn't last long, did it? (laughs) And we found ourselves in the middle of that really thick part of the five books of the law, Uh, George Guthrie says, dealing with the law found in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy can be like walking through a kiddie pool full of peanut butter. I guess he means it's thick and it can be really sticky. Maybe also tastes good, and some of you might be allergic to it, but uh, I think we get the point here, right? Um, I think it can also really take the wind out of your sails with regards to excitement about reading the scriptures. I know some of you thought, man, this whole Job stuff, I mean, that's exhausting. Uh, you know, where's the exciting stuff? And then we come to this portion of the scriptures, and it's really perhaps slowed your momentum in the reading plan because it gets so detailed. Um, Of course, there is the stories within Exodus of uh, God providing the manna and quail, um, water from the rock, that battle with the Amalekites where Moses' hands are having to be held up for them to win the battle, uh, the interaction with his father-in-law Jethro, and then the drama surrounding the golden calf. I mean, those sections uh, tend to flow. We can track with the action uh, and see how the drama is is, uh, developing. But when we read the details of the ordinances and laws God gave to Moses, it can get really difficult to persevere. Plus, we get the descriptions of the tabernacle, how it's to be uh, constructed, um, all the uh, details about each piece of furniture, the length of the poles, the type of overlay, the fabric, the clothes for the priests. And then it gets repeated all over again as uh, Bezalel and the skilled workers actually do the work. And so some of you might have ended up skimming the text there. I know I, I was tempted to. And part of that's because we we don't know what to do with it. And we really wonder um, how applicable this portion of Scripture is for our modern Christian lives. So I'm here to remind you today on this episode of the Be Consumed podcast that this part of Scripture is also God's gift to His people. Uh, do you remember what Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I would say that definitely includes the law and ordinances as detailed in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In fact, the first five books of the Bible are foundational for the rest of Scripture. They were the most um, critical parts of the Bible uh, that Paul was reading or that Jesus was teaching from, so as we approach, uh, approach Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy over the next four weeks, I want to remind you that this scripture continues to reveal God to us and teach us about his character. It can help you to understand Jesus better and even guide you in righteous living. It's useful, but I think that we can all admit it's a real challenge to read because it doesn't contain the drama a lot of the times or the rising action Uh, that a narrative uh, contains that we've grown accustomed to and enjoy in our reading. Um, I also think we don't quite know how to apply or read certain parts of um, the law. As we read the ordinances, we think this part's interesting. 
Uh, but then we think, you know, this part's not, <laughs> or this part's really weird, and we kind of skip over that part. Uh, and then we finally find something we identify with, so we kind of underline that part. And um, I would say that's probably not the best way to go about reading um, the Old Testament law. So I thought I would offer to you a little bit of guidance on how to approach reading the law contained in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, because we're going to be here for a few more weeks. Uh, people tend to go to uh, a couple different extremes when they read the Old Testament law. Some essentially ignore the law and say um, it's not relevant, or at least it's um, most of it's not relevant to my new covenant Christian life today. And what we do, um, a lot of times you'll hear people say, is they kind of follow what I would say might be a traditional approach to discounting the bulk of the law. And that, they do that by categorizing the law in three different ways, uh, ceremonial laws, civil laws, and moral laws. And we will say that some laws are um, ceremonial laws, uh, that they are um, have to do with sacrifices and how and when to bring the offering and who's to offer the sacrifice and what to do with it afterwards. And then we have civil laws, and those are things that have to do with social order for those who actually lived in the ancient Israelite society, local um, governmental laws for the people at the time. And so the people that are, I mean, the argument people make about these um, ceremonial and civil laws is that they're not applicable and therefore they are overlookable as we read the law. But then they underscore the category that they call moral laws. Um, and they argue um, that the moral laws still apply to our new covenant Christian lives. And um, perhaps you've heard those categories before, but the scriptures really don't draw the distinction. Um, it's really more as we read it, it's interpretive, right? Of which one is ceremonial, which one's civil, which one's moral. And there tends to be overlap. Um, so it's not foolproof, you know, because you look at somebody, um, kind of a civil law uh, regarding um, adultery and marriage, um, but it's also a moral law. So there's overlap. And um, so what are we to do with that with regards to our present day context? So that's how some people approach it. Discount most of it because most of it is ceremonial and, and uh, civil doesn't really apply to us. The other extreme people go to is to try and argue that the Old Testament law is applicable to our present day lives in the same way uh, it applied to the ancient Israelite. And I, I, that's a very extreme approach. And I think there's a strong argument against it. And that, that is that the law was given to a specific people for a specific purpose. God gave the law to the ancient Israelite to prepare them for dwelling in the promised land. It was a covenantal agreement. You do those things, God says, I'll do these things. And as believers in Jesus Christ, on this side of the resurrection, we are not under that old covenant. Uh, we, we don't have to live up to the requirement of the law. Paul writes to the Galatians, and God says to you, it's for freedom Christ has set us free. So the law that we find in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it defines the terms of an old covenantal contract. It outlines what Israel was to do in order to prosper in the promised land and to ensure that God would tabernacle among them. But we are not the nation of Israel, and we don't live in the promised land today. So things have changed. But I would say to you, uh, maybe a better way to look at the Old Testament law is to be reminded there are some parallels. Uh, we are still God's people. We are still his children. Um, he also dwells in our midst, but he doesn't do so by way of a man-made tabernacle. Um, we also approach God by way of a sacrifice, but it is not that old sacrificial system under the, um, under the law. We approach God by way of the ultimate sacrifice 
of the uh, perfect Lamb of God who shed his blood on the Roman cross for us. So what are we to do then? What are we to do with this Old Testament, Old Covenantal law? Some of the principles, this is what I said to you, some of the principles stressed in the Old Testament law, they've not changed. Um, we find that God is still committed to his people. He's still committed to his holiness, and he's still committed to his demand for holiness. He still takes sin very seriously, and he demands accounting for that sin. We also find in the New Testament that Jesus drives home the importance um, of the Ten Commandments, that the uh, New Testament um, apostles drive home the importance of certain portions, relevant uh, commands um, uh, for believers living under the New Covenant. Um, Jesus underscores the the need to uh, fulfill the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God. And then uh, the second, which is like it, the second greatest commandment, love others. And then he points to other Levitical laws that um, uh, he are relevant uh, for Christian living. Uh, it's relevant for pushing you towards a righteous life. So the principles that are found in the Old Testament law are useful for, for, for guiding Christians on how to live as kingdom citizens under the new covenant. So while we're reading through Act 2, Scene 3 of the story of Scripture, uh, which is on covenant and law, this is what I would say to you. As you read it, don't lose sight of the story. On Monday evening at our deacons meeting, our deacons uh, discussed Jethro's uh, visit and his advice to Moses from Exodus 18. Of course, the discussion is um, revolved around um, Jethro's advice that Moses, you're doing too much. You know, you're acting like the police, the law, the counselor, the DMV, the judge, the theologian, the pastor, all in once. You don't need to do all that. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear them out. And so Jethro says, you need to share the ministry. It's a great illustration from scripture of how members of the body of Christ should share the responsibility of ministry in the church and not just lean on pastors or other professional ministers to do it all. Uh, that, that, that's a good you know, parallel, uh, something to a good application to draw the text. But as part of our conversation, um, Jeff Mobley was at my table, and he brought up what Jethro surely observed Moses doing. Remember, Moses is a shepherd at this point. He's not some trained lawyer. He's not some you know, skilled judge. He was a shepherd. And here he is having to adjudicate skirmishes among neighbors, um, allegations of wrongdoing, accidental deaths, um, invasion of property, um, even parents dealing with rebellious children. And he's having to cast judgment. He's trying, to, he's trying to solve that problem for the people. So it makes total sense that just a couple chapters after that, um, after delivering the Ten Commandments to Moses, God gives him legal guidance for leading the people. It's almost as if God delivers case law or common law or precedent to Moses for him to give to his newly appointed overseers and uh, uh, judges so that they could adjudicate on these civil and moral matters among the people. My point here is the law came as part of a story, the story of a nation of a million or more people who all of a sudden need a legal system, and they need guidance for judges because they just left Egypt. And so God gives it to them at Mount Sinai. Does that make sense? Now, the, the point here is the law fits within a story. So as we read the law, keep that in mind. God's going to give ordinance about uh, ordinances about health and sanitation. He's going to give guidance for zoning. Why? Because that's what the people needed. It was to his glory and for their good. So first of all, as you read through the law, keep the story in mind. What did the text mean to the original recipients of the law? What was the context? How has the context changed for us 
Um, and how is it the same? Second, be reminded that we're not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. The text is still scripture, it's still profitable and infallible, but it's no longer law for us. If someone breaks the Mosaic Law, the punishments outlined in um, the books of the law don't apply. It's the principle of the law that should capture our attention. So try to deter- discern here, what's the theological principle um, within the intent of the law that applies not only to the ancient Israelite, but to me as a Christian today? Um, how, how can it help me um, understand God better? How can it help me understand myself and the human condition? How can it help me to live for the Lord in the world today? That's what matters most as we study through the Old Testament um, law. Well, today is um, Wednesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, by the way. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, and we finished reading the last verses of the book of Exodus today. And that means tomorrow we pick up in Leviticus For several chapters, we um, tracked at the end of Exodus, we tracked with God's instruction of how to build and furnish the tabernacle, you know, exact measurements. This table is to be that high, this long, this wide, this deep, use this kind of wood, and then, um, you know, overlay it with this um, certain metal, and then add these um, decorative pieces to it on the sides. This is where it's to be positioned. And then um, it kind of gets repeated as the text describes, and then, um, you know, Bezalel and the skilled workers fashioned the tabernacle. They made it this high, this deep. They used this metal, this wood, you know, that kind of thing. Then we get descriptions for how to prepare the priest to dress and serve the Lord in the tabernacle, how they're to represent the people. And once again, it gets repeated as they actually fashion the clothing, as they, you know, uh, create the different elements that the high priest, the tools they use. And then Moses comes in and inspects the tabernacle to ensure everything is as God instructed it to be. It's repeated again. And if we're honest, this repetition becomes a little boring to read. But I want you to put yourself in the story. There in the wilderness between the Red Sea and the Promised Land, it seems so detailed, so laborious, but it is preparation work to make proper arrangements for the arrival of the Most High God. Will he come and dwell among his people? And there's a tension there. At the end of Exodus 40, um, verse 33, the last phrase of the verse says, so Moses finished the work, period. And then there's the tension. Will God come? Is everything as it should be? Will God find their work suitable in preparing the tabernacle? And we get the answer in the very next verse. Verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He came. And the people could see that he was among them. That, that, that's it. So it's the story of how that happened. What's the tabernacle all about? It's about the gospel because it points us to somebody. The true presence of God dwelling within us, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. The tension that's found here at the book of Exodus is the same tension that's found in that 400 years of silence at the conclusion of the Old Testament and before the gospel writers speak. 400 years of silence. Will God come to dwell among us again? John describes it this way. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He came. God dwelled among his people. And then when Christ departs the earth, he sends the spirit to dwell among us. Not in some man-made tabernacle, but within us. We now are temple of the Holy Spirit. So the story of Exodus is our story. I want to read to you some comments from Tony um, Merida. He says, 
Once we were in bondage to sin, enslaved under the sentence of death, but by taking shelter under the blood of the Lamb, God has delivered us. The story of Exodus is our story. Now God is with us, leading us to the promised land. We will face challenges, obstacles, and temptations, but we know that God is faithful to his redeemed people. While we journey, we live by grace and forgiveness found not in a tabernacle, but in Christ. One day we will see Jesus, and there we will behold the glory of God forever. Everyone who trusts in Jesus has this hope. Now let us move forward in this faith journey. On Sunday, I'm going to preach a message from Exodus 32 as we wrap that book up. A sermon entitled, Man Made God, on that moment whenever uh, Aaron threw the gold in the fire and out came the golden calf at Mount Sinai. I hope you'll join me for Bible study and worship at Columbia's First Baptist Church each Sunday. In the meantime, read, think about, put into practice the truth of God's Word. Thank you for listening to the Be Consumed podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Church, Columbia, South Carolina. For more information and to join us in reading through the Bible this year, please visit us at consumed.life.